Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we want to thank you, Lord, for the wonderful time that we have had. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing. Thank you, Lord, for our sister who has come all the way from Hastings. Lord, Father, we know it's not a simple thing. It's taken her a lot of time to prepare and to think about standing before us. Father, I pray now, Father, time has come for her to stand and to deliver what God you have given her, Lord. I pray, Father, that you may enable her, that you may strengthen her, that, Lord, she is able to express herself and give us all that God you have put in her heart. I pray, Father, that you're going to anoint her and also you're going to open our, our ears that we may be able to hear and understand what you're telling us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Lord. That's one thing um, it's really nice to um, be with you. It's always like coming home here, isn't it? Um, it is your home, London is my home, and Hope is my home as well. And um, sometimes I wonder what I'm doing in Hastings. <laughs> but it's like I'm on holiday all the time there, really. Um, but yeah, just to give you a little update on Phil, um, those of you, I know there's lots of new faces here, but those who um, know us as a family. Um, yeah, the last six weeks has been quite difficult. Um, Phil had a total knee replacement, um, probably the worst he's ever gone through. He has had various operations before, but um, he had an epidural and he wasn't put out completely. So I don't know why he opted for that, but you have an option now to have that. So he heard all the soaring and... <laughs> goodness knows what else going on and the anaesthetist kept saying to him are you okay and he seemed okay because you can't feel anything from your waist down but it's all the noises isn't it that freaked me out when he told me <laughs> the pain has been excruciating i've never seen him in so much pain so the first two weeks were totally unbearable really so with prayer and medication and Trusting God, the first two weeks are definitely the best. So he's week six now. Um, he can walk um, with a stick quite ably. He's with Jonathan at the moment, just recuperating. And he sees the surgeon this week, um, because it's his six weeks, to see how things are going. So he's got a nice big scar. If you ask him, does he want the next knee done, he will tell you now, no way. <laughs> Like you say when you've had a baby, I'm never having another one. And there you go and have another one. But, um, yeah, our family's doing well. We've had a wedding this year. Luke got married. Yay! It was um, much prayer had gone into that. So never give up praying for your families, for, for whatever you're believing. Um, he's going to plant a church. He belongs to the Vineyard Organisation. He's going to plant a church with his wife in Ayrshire. Um, so God's had his hand on him a long time. He's gone off and come back and he's gone off, but God's brought him here. Joel is doing fine in Hong Kong still. Uh, I don't think he'll ever come back home. His heart's there. He speaks fluent Cantonese and I mean, I've never... That must be God because he never did languages at school. Another wedding day. And um, believe him for his wife soon. <laughs> They're going to make him in charge you know, in time, in charge of all the drug work in Hong Kong, in, in St. Stephen's Society, so they've got plans for him, but I think he needs a help meet. Um, that's my opinion, anyhow. 
to do that work. Um, David's doing fine in Hastings and Jonathan fine in London. So we have a London residence and we have a country residence. So. But anyhow, I'm not here just to tell you all that, but when I was praying about coming here today, because usually Phil speaks to you, so, um, but I felt God gave me a word for you and he gave me three little words to prepare my talk today. And the three little words he gave me was only a little. It's easy to dismiss the small things in our lives as insignificant, isn't it? But in God's hands and through the scriptures we read, a little can do a lot. None of us are insignificant. None of us. We all stand on the same level, whoever we are. And in our hands God has given us gifts and talents that we can use in the kingdom. It's not for us just to come and sit, as Paul has said, we all as a body together have gifts to bring. I love this scripture in 1 Corinthians 1.27 that says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the what in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing, things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. So no one can boast this morning, can we? Because everything we have, God has given to us. And all throughout scripture, he seems to choose, doesn't he, the weak and foolish. The ones that think they can't do it. Like Moses, he couldn't believe that he could lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, but God chose him. And God chooses you today to bring deliverance to his people, to bring your talents into the body of Christ. It's Christmas time, isn't it? And thinking about the season and all the presents that are piled perhaps around the tree in your home at the moment, or perhaps you don't do that till Christmas Eve. And when, just imagine, I mean, Christmas is for children, isn't it? I always think it's for children. Big children and little children. <laughs> but, you know, if you've had children and they come down in the morning, they see all this pile of presents surrounding the tree. It's the excitement, isn't it? And they run to look for the biggest and the most best brightly coloured paper and they take them and they wrap, unwrap them with enthusiasm. And they go on looking for the biggest parcels quite often, but right at the bottom of the tree, hidden, insignificant, is a tiny little box. Nobody seemed to want that. Why? Why would anybody want something as small as that? But as the mother opens it, because she's the last to receive her present, of course, she opens it and she finds inside a diamond eternity ring that her wonderful husband has bought her <laughs> for 20 years of marriage. An insignificant present, small, nearly lost amidst all the other big presents, but so valuable. Biggest isn't always best, is it? I'm interest, I've been interested recently on just watching some things on the screen, how they pan for gold. You see these people in different countries, they go down to the river, just like a mucky old river with all the slurry and mud, and they get all the slurry and mud and put it in a... It's like a sieve, isn't it? Then they shake it. They could be doing that all day, hoping that they would get a small nugget of gold. Can you imagine the delight when they find 
that nugget of gold that is worth sometimes millions of pounds. Apparently they do it in this country as well. They do pan for gold, even in the UK. So treasure, hidden treasure, often the tiniest thing, but often very precious. So I'm going to sort of take you all over the Bible. I don't know quite how much time I've got, but anyhow, just go like this if you've had enough. <laughs> um, so Matthew 17, verse 14 to 20. It's about the story of the boy who has seizures and the man who comes to Jesus and asks mercy for his son. I'll read this one. I won't read them all, but I will read this one. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Amen. I've often found these verses a little bit hard to understand because I do believe that Jesus wasn't condemning the disciples for their lack of faith, but he was trying to show them how important faith would be in their future ministry when he wasn't with them anymore. Perhaps the disciples had tried to cast out this demon in their own ability rather than God's, or perhaps they always thought, well, Jesus is here, he could do it. But Jesus is saying even faith as small as a mustard seed with God's power working would have been sufficient. So is Jesus saying that their faith wasn't even as big as a mustard seed? I brought some mustard seeds along. They're really tiny. Look, you can hardly see them. And yet Jesus is saying really they didn't have this much faith because they were depended on him, not on what the faith they had. The mustard seed is one of the tiniest seeds in the Middle East. I've been to the Middle East, um, those of you who have been to Israel. It's one of the tiniest seeds, but it grows to one of the biggest trees, between 6 and 20 feet tall, and it spreads quite big. I think there's a picture of it there. Its roots go down from 6 to 10 feet as they gather the nitrogen from the soil, which goes into the leaves. It's amazing, really. So the thing is, if you're facing a problem that seems as big as immovable as a mountain, turn your eyes from the mountain and look to Christ for more faith. See, I don't think the disciples had realised yet what faith they would need in the future. Because they were the ones who were going to carry the gospel from Judea and Samaria into the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus would be gone. They couldn't rely on him to do the work for them anymore. They were going to have to grow in faith. But it doesn't take much faith, does it? But, and if we need more faith, we ask God for more faith and he will give it to us. It's just a seed and a seed can grow whatever situation you're in. I remember back in the 90s, 
just got a little seeds and so sometimes God just places that desire in you to go and help the homeless in it was in London I was going around the streets to give food out with the Salvation Army and I remember at the end of that time I stood on the streets with the Salvation Army and they prayed on the streets by cardboard city then it was it's not there anymore and I remember God just, it was like, dropped this idea into my heart that I could go back to Uxbridge and start to feed the homeless. And when I went back, it was a few people joined me to go out into the streets to take food to these few people in the parks. We walked round until those people came into our centre. And over the years, that little seed grew into some amazing ministry. It's not because of what we did, but what I'm saying is that little seed can sometimes grow. It grew into shops, and we fed hundreds of people at Christmas, and there was a double soup kitchen. And just looking back over that time, it was just a seed. So never despise what God places in your heart. It might be little, it might be small, it might be an idea. But in God's hand, that can grow to something amazing. Never, never despise the small things. So as I looked into this subject, there's quite a lot about little. And I felt, felt, thought of the well-known story in 1 Samuel 17. And I'm so sure you know all that, that story, David and Goliath. And I'm just trying to find it. I'll, Marked it all out here, but... Okay. So David was an insignificant shepherd boy, wasn't he? And every day he heard Goliath shouting. So the Philistines were one end of the valley, and the Israelites were another end of the valley. And he heard this great giant who came out onto the valley to say to, say to the Israelites, Is there anyone there that can come and fight for me? And all the Israelites were shaking and thinking, who is this guy? He looks head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a champion, a giant. In fact, he came just to taunt the Israelites every day. And David was an insignificant shepherd boy, wasn't he? He was looking after his father's sheep some way away. But he could hear Goliath shouting every day to the Israelites to come, some, bring someone, someone who can come and fight for us. And one day his father asked him to take food to his brothers who were on the, on the battle lines. And David went out and he heard Goliath again taunting the Israelites for someone to come and fight him. And he said, David said, don't worry about this Philistine, a little shepherd boy. I'll go and fight him. You can read the story in 1 Samuel 17. It's too much to read today but he said don't worry about this Philistine I'll go and fight him David said this to Saul but Saul thought it was ridiculous that a young boy could go and fight this giant but David said I've saved the sheep from the jaws of lions I've clubbed them to death and with God's help I can do this for a pagan Philistine too so Saul offers to put his armour on him doesn't it and he like sort of drowns David. It was far too big and awkward. David wanted to do it God's way. When I was in Israel this week, they took us to the valley where the battle took place, the Valley of Elah, it's called. And we stood in that valley, and it was like 
you could imagine the Philistines one end and the Israelites the other. And you had this sense of the whole story coming alive. And David took five small stones from a brook. And we saw the brook. It had no water in it because the level of water in the Middle East had gone down, I guess because of <coughs> climate change. But there was, and I picked this stone up. It's <laughs> actual stone. <laughs> Because people were picking stones up, weren't they? There's probably no stones left there. All the tourists come and pick another stone up. But this is the stone from the brook in the valley of Elah, where David went to take his five stones. He put them in his shepherd's pouch, didn't he? And he went up to the Philistine. And did it take the five stones? No, it just took one small stone. Whatever he did in his catapult, and it threw it and it hit the giant in the head and he went down. Is that a miracle or not? Yes. Did that take faith? Yes. Small as a mustard seed? Yes. And the giant fell. Goliath couldn't believe it and jeered at David saying, am I a dog that you come with me with a stick? David replies, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies. Yay! It's not how much we have, it's how much we offer, and with God's power can make it amazing. Something so small, but with God's power can do mighty things. You never know what you have in your hands. You never know what God can do with it. So how about Elisha and the widow's oil in 2 Kings 4, verses 1 to 7? Let's just turn to that. 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. This lady had, she had run out of, I think there must have been a famine in the land. And um, let's just read a few bits of this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he reveres the law, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? So the prophet asked her, How can I help you? What do you want Jesus to do for you this morning? Have you asked him? Tell me what do you have in your house? What do you have in your hands this morning to offer to him? Your servant has nothing at all, except just a little oil. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Put oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. wonder why he asked her to shut the door. Perhaps it was just between her and her sons. Didn't want the whole village to know what was happening. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Amazing story. Told her to borrow as many jars as she could from her friends and neighbours. And as she kept filling the jars, but when they had run out, the oil flowing. So what was she able to do with the oil? How did that help her? She was able to sell the oil to pay her debts. God wanted to use what she already had. 
God sometimes just wants us to run out of stuff, doesn't he? So our total sufficiency is in him and not in the world's resources. While we have everything and there is sufficient, we don't need to rely on God, do we? I think during this time of Phil's illness and the pain, it just it throws you on to God. I've seen a difference in him. He hasn't been able to pick up his books and do his studying. I've seen that he's had to throw himself on God. And God takes us through different times in our life and different seasons because he wants to be our all-sufficiency. Just a little oil paid off a large debt. God used what she already had. So over to the New Testament now, and we see in the Gospels the story of the boy with a little lunch. You all know that story very well. A crowd of 5,000 needing feeding as they gathered to hear Jesus teach. That story is in John 6, verses 5 to 13. John 6, verses 5 to 13. You all know that story very well, I'm sure. 5,000 people. And Jesus said, although he already knew, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was sort of testing the disciples what they were going to do. And I think Philip tries to do a financial assessment in his mind and says, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. He was trying to work it out in the natural, but God had another answer. In fact, Jesus already knew what was going to happen. Funnily enough, um, in verse 9, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what is that? What good is that with such a huge crowd? 5,000 plus people. What's a, what's a little lunch going to do? The disciples thought, this is mad. This is silly. So a young boy comes with a little in his hands to offer it as an offering. And God used it, didn't he? You know the story very well. Jesus blesses the loaves of fish. They distribute it amongst the crowd. It says everyone was full. And there were 12 basketfuls left. There's always an abundance with God, isn't there? He doesn't just do the right amount. He does over and above. Exceedingly more that we can ask him for. So if we offer nothing to God, he'll have nothing to use but we can take the little we have and turn it into something great. The boy came with a little lunch. God made it into something great. That's what's wonderful about Jesus, isn't it? We don't have to worry, do we? Because he's with us and he will do the work. It's not our own ability and our own strength. He wants our availability. He wants that we already sung today. He wants a surrendered life. And we just come, Lord, I, sur- I love that song, I surrender all, all to Jesus. It's an old hymn, isn't it? But it's so meaningful. Whenever I sing that, it's like, even in the autumn season of my life, I still want to give my life to Jesus. Because things change, don't they? Luke 21, 1-4, the story of the lady who went into the temple... I will read this one. It's been too much to read them all, but 21, 1 to 4. The widow's offering. 
As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live, it, live on. Apparently it was the smallest of the Roman coins that she put in the treasury that day. Jesus was watching as all the wealthy came in and put probably just a part of what they had, but she gave her all. Her little was more than those with great wealth. It's not a matter of how much we have, but a heart attitude of giving sacrifici sacrificially, whether money, time or talents. It's not just about money. Jesus saw her heart. He saw her attitude. It's a life of surrender. Amazing. And it's the time of Christmas, isn't it? And exciting, the whole Christmas story that we must never forget how Jesus came to this earth. So let's look at Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. A miracle conception. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. Just hope we never forget in this country the true meaning of Christmas, amidst all the tinsel and everything else, that we never forget that Christmas is about Christ, the chosen one. He came to earth in the flesh, in the form of a baby. Something so little something so small. God could have chosen to manifest himself as a king, come in all the splendour, but he chose insignificance. Why did he choose that? Because it had been prophesied long ago in Micah, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, though you are small, <coughs> he even chose a small place for him to come among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I think that's really great. That somewhere so small, God sends himself as a small baby to manifest his love to the human race. Nobody expected that, did they? The Jews, well, the Jews didn't expect it, did they? That's why they didn't believe the Messiah would come, because they were expecting something different. They're still looking for him. One day they will see him come as a king but they missed him coming as a baby. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great. A small town, a tiny baby, 
God coming to earth, not in great splendour, pomp and ceremony. That is what is so lovely about the Christmas story. So God gave us his gifts. This morning, what will you give him? I think sometimes it's just good to take stock of that again in our lives, isn't it? Especially at Christmas time. What can we give him? What have you got in your hands that you can use in the kingdom? Perhaps you've kept it hidden. But perhaps this morning you can... Well, we can all again say, Lord, what I have in my hands I want you to use for your kingdom. I love this um, one of the carols. I think I've got it here. It's all my notes. In the bleak midwinter, but the last verse. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give him my heart. That is first and foremost, you know, if any of you here haven't given him your heart, that is the first and foremost thing. Once you've given him your heart, You can open your hands and say, Lord, use the little I have in my hands for your kingdom. And you can see miracles happen throughout your life. Don't limit God, whoever you are. There's nobody insignificant. God can take the little we have and use it mightily in his kingdom. Amen. If you'd like to stand and before Paul comes back and closes the service, I just think today I'd just like to. Um, I just felt when I was coming here this morning, there might be someone here who doesn't know Jesus. Perhaps you've been coming here for a long time, but you've never really asked Jesus into your heart. You've never, haven't really got that personal experience, a personal relationship with Jesus. Perhaps this Christmas time you can ask Jesus to come in your heart. And I pray that prayer now for you. If you want to do that in your hearts, to ask Jesus into your heart this Christmas season. And then I'll pray for each one of you as you put your hands out. And God will bless what's in your hands for his kingdom. Lord, I just thank you for these precious people here, Lord. <laughs> Hope seems a little church in the middle of Perryvale but it's not insignificant. It's very precious in your sight, Lord. And this seed in Perivale that's been planted over the years will grow into a mighty tree like that mustard tree. Lord, because you can see the faithfulness of your people here. I pray you continue to bless hope, Lord. You'll bring people in the door that need Jesus mightily. Lord, and I pray for people here now who perhaps have never prayed or given you their hearts, Lord given you, given over their hearts to you, ask you into their lives to make a difference. I pray for those perhaps here today that they would open their hearts right now and invite you in at this Christmas time or that you want to come into their lives and make a difference. We pray that, Lord. We believe that in Jesus' name. And Lord, for each one here, Lord, as they open their hands and might feel the little they have, Lord, we pray in their hearts they would know a full surrendering of what they have to you, that you will mightily use them in the kingdom of God. Whatever their gifts and talents are, that they will find a place in the body of Christ and they will see in their own lives just a miracle each day of you multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. 
Continue to bless this precious church and the precious people in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.